eventually the hormonal cocktail that um, you're in when you're in romantic love will die down and it's supposed to die down if you were in that intense state all the time nothing would get done as anybody knows that when they're in those initial stages of love they can't think about anything else they're practically obsessed with their partner and their relationship right um, their schoolwork suffers their uh, their work work suffers their relationship with other people might suffer they don't want to do anything else but be around that individual and so to stay in that state um, would mean that you know you would not be able to progress in life so it's supposed to calm down after that know yourself <laughs> know know yourself and and know how to communicate who you are to the outside world where that's whether that's in a romantic relationship or in relationships of any kind um, the more you know yourself and the, the clearer you are about who you are and you um, you embody your own values, the more likely you are to attract the right people into your life. Uh, so it's not about going and finding that person, making a list and like looking out for that person. It's really about becoming that individual and bringing that into the relationship. Because even if you found the perfect person, if you're not the, that kind of person and you're not um, living your own sort of values, they can only contribute 50% of that relationship. You're the other half of it. So it's still not going to be your ideal relationship. So know yourself, communicate it clearly, um, and don't compromise in terms of who you are as an individual. This week on American Real, love and relationships. For some, relationships come easy. For others, they're frustrating and complex. Our mood, our drive, and our psyche can all be greatly affected by the stability of the relationship we have with our significant other. And as crazy as it sounds, for many of us, our choices when it comes to dating or ultimately in the partner we choose comes down to one thing, our upbringing, the observations we made as children of our parents or adult figures closest to us can affect the type of person we're attracted to. Our featured guest, Dr. Catherine Bajanian, a relationship therapist, touches on this and more, including nature versus nurture, the importance of communication, and the love bank account each of us has. Dr. Bajanian also discusses humor and laughter, flirting, and the importance of knowing oneself. Now, if you like this episode, please share it with your friends, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe to the American Real YouTube channel to receive all the latest updates. I'd like to thank our partners and sponsors, especially Happy Socks, turning an everyday essential into a colorful design item, and Alatura Naturals the best all-natural skincare products available. Visit alaturanaturals.com to make a purchase and be sure to use the coupon code AMERICAN at checkout for a very special 20% discount. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Dr. Catherine Bajanian. Welcome to American Real. This is Roger Brooks, and today my very special guest is Dr. Catherine Bajanian. Catherine, thank you for having us here. 
Absolutely, and welcome to London. Your wonderful loft mm. overlooking the Parliament. Yeah. Yes, iconic view. Yeah. So tell us about you. Tell us how you ended up in London. You're from the states. Yes. Grew up in California. Yeah. Tell yeah. us your story. Um, well, I came to London as an undergrad for a couple months and just fell in love with it. Um, the culture, um, the ability to travel regularly, um, the types of different people that you encountered. So I, I just, I just fell in love with it and knew that I wanted to come back. So I came back to the states and finished my degree, did my masters, and then figured out a way to come back here and do a PhD. And since finishing, I ended up settling here, um, and and yeah, and opening up my own private practice here. And for the time being, I'm here. I love it. Wonderful. Yeah. So tell us about your work, um, okay. how you got into this field, okay. and um, you know where where the interests. Yeah. Came um, from. So. Um, so I'm a therapist, uh, and I work primarily um, on relationship concerns. So dating um, and relationships, and I see individuals and couples, um, as I said, on any kind of sort of relationship issues. I am a trained therapist, period, and in the States, um, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist in California. Um, but when I decided I wanted to um, learn more about this field and specialize in it. So I came over here. And my PhD is in sort of social psychology, but with a focus on romantic relationships cross-culturally. Wow. So, yeah. So um, I learned a lot in, in the PhD, and I apply a lot of um, the knowledge that I gain to help people get a better understanding uh, of themselves and of their relationships. Um, and yeah, so I work sort of, uh, as I said, I, I, you know, I have my own private practice and I work with individuals and I try to sort of stay in touch with the academic side by um, keeping up with all of the latest sort of research in this area. So, so let's talk about that if, if, if we could. Sure. Um, if you could give us a, maybe an example or two of why I might come and mm. see you as an individual or as okay. a couple. What do you typically yeah. see? Um, in terms of individuals, I'll generally get people who um, are just frustrated. Uh, they're, they're frustrated in the kind of people they encounter, the kind of people they seem to be dating. Um, they have started to gain a sense that there's a, there's a pattern that, um, that is sort of they can see in terms of the kind of individuals they end up. Um, with or the kind of relationships that end up um, that they end, end up in and, and so they want to sort of come in to for me to help them either gain a better understanding of, of their past and what's going on with that um, or um, simply just to help them be make better choices in, in partners so that's generally the um, when people come in as individuals, that's generally the, the main concerns. Um, and couples, uh, they're just either a, a specific issue brings them in, or just generally, they're just there's a lot of conflict. Um, and there's uh, most of the time they're coming in because there's an intention to stay together, mm -hmm. um, and they just don't know how to go about resolving their their differences. So if we go back to the individuals first, um, you know. I know a lot of people say, I tend to date the same type of person. Yeah. I put myself, whether it's a man or the woman, yeah. I put myself in these situations or I'm attracted yeah. to this man that's, you know, maybe abusive or or not. Yeah, or unhealthy. Or, or unhealthy, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and so how do you help them uh, see see yeah. that, admit it, break through, and, and, and try to, to change those habits? Yeah. Um, ideally, if someone comes in in that kind of a state where there was already... A recognition that um, there is a pattern um, that's ideal uh, because once you recognize that there is a pattern then the common denominator in that pattern is you um, and so in, in that sort of particular uh, situation then we go through that the history of the relationships and um, as therapists you know there's there's a reason why we always ask you know tell me about your childhood um, because a lot of our understanding how uh, a relationship works is from is imprinted from our earlier years in how our parents interacted with us and the the relationships we saw around us again particularly um, with sort of our parents and and that 
leaves a de definite sort of unconscious almost imprint on it and that we keep repeating and playing out. So on the surface, the people we choose might look really different from one another. Um, and this is why sometimes it takes a while for people to get it because consciously they're trying to choose people that are not like what they experienced in the past, um, for, particularly if they're coming from like an abusive background or a childhood home where let's say their father was an alcoholic and was unavailable and finances were always an issue. So reacting against that, they might sort of choose to, to be with people that um, don't, you know, don't have drinking issues, that are um, really invested in the work that they do and such. But on, again, on the outside, they're trying to pick people that are different, but they end up in similar types of relationship dynamics where they feel unfulfilled. Maybe the guy's a workaholic. He's similarly to the father, he's just unavailable emotionally. He's not around. Um, and so that's the kind of patterns that we sort of, un, we sort of peel away the layers mm -hmm. and try to look at. How does that happen? So how, how does an individual yeah. become attracted to that type of person? Is it, what is it? Is it are they attracted to the certain trait? or the quality of the person? Is it a physical thing? What? Yeah, it's, it's it, a little bit of all of that. It's, it happens so early on that, you know, when, so when you think of a child being born into the world, they have no idea how this world works. They have no idea who they are in this world. They have no idea, um, you know, what their place is, what relationships are, what, what it's all about. So they're sort of very early years in the home um, teaches them what the world is going to be like and teaches them who they are in the world, um, what they deserve and how relationships work. It's sort of a, a recording. They sort of record the world up until about around sort of eight, seven, um, even earlier than that. And so if you grow up in a home where you're not getting a lot of love and nurturing um, and, or, you know, your parents just for whatever, they don't even have to be abusive. They just might not be available. There's things going on in their own marriage or, you know, they're, they're too busy trying to uh, financially sort of uh, provide. And so they're working a lot, whatever it is. Um, children, you know, are very egocentric. The world sort of revolves around them. So when parents are not available for whatever reason, they make assumptions that it's, this is about me. Um, they make interpretations, and so that sort of settles in. Then you see yourself as a certain type of individual deserving of a certain type of relationship. And the sort of point is, as we sort of get older, we draw those types of people into our adult life because it gives us an opportunity to like, work through those childhood issues, some of those pains. And if we can come through it, then we can heal some of the stuff that happened early on that we had no control over. We didn't have control over how our, our parents treated us, right? So we can tell them to, to be more available or to parent us a certain way or discipline us a certain way. But when we, as adults, we choose people that, um, in our partners that bring out certain qualities that um, our parents had or playing out the dynamics from our childhood, then as adults we have an opportunity to become conscious about that and work through it and therefore heal our childhood wounds and have a really healthy, great relationship as an adult. How, how do you explain or discuss um, siblings that are obviously born into the yeah. same family, grow up, but have different choices of yeah. Their partner. Um, is there, yeah, any, is there any science behind that? Uh, yeah, so there, people have looked um, into that quite a bit because siblings can be very, very different from one another. Um, and parents will sometimes say, well, yeah, it's because, you know, they, they, uh, they're just wired differently. Uh, it's sort of uh, genetically they're different. So one was born a certain way, one was born another way. And so it's sort of that nature versus nurture. Um, but what we're starting to understand more and more is that Nurture has a lot to do with what um, sort of whatever genes that we're born with, what um, what gets expressed. Um, and although it's the same parents, the same parents might be in a completely different state of mind. So the first child is born, and maybe they're young parents. Um, they're still trying to. They don't know how to parent yet. This is the first time they're they're doing it. Um, financially, it might be difficult. They're still building. Um, so all kinds of things. And then a couple of years later, they're in a different space uh, in their lives. And and they have a better sense of what children are like and how to parent. And so it's, 
it's subtle messages that people take in. And so just the parents being different states of mind and a different place in, in, in life is going to have a different exactly. effect. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, now let's jump back into the, the couple situation. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing couples yeah. as a therapist? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, you, you have a, a role within an organization, mm. right? Yeah. Where you're, you're helping to put couples together. Um, so, sort of. So, okay. um, yeah, I, I do some consulting uh, outside of my own, um, my own sort of therapy um, agency. Um, and the agency you're ma um, mentioning is sort of a higher end or dating or matchmaking agency. And the premise behind that agency, it's been around for several decades now, um, and the premise is to really try to bring couples together based on uh, similar sort of values and character and lifestyle. So to, in order to do that, you can't just have someone fill out a, a questionnaire or ask them their likes or dislikes or what they like in a partner, what they, you know, what their interests are. You really have to go a bit deeper. Um, so we do a, like a three to five hour interview for that initially and anybody who's interested in joining um, and really, really delve deep into a, a person's relationship history, um, their family um, history, what their childhood was like, all, all of that to get a really thorough understanding of them as individuals. Um, and so that's the part that I'm a little bit involved in. Um, I'll occasionally do uh, that bit, the initial interview process. Um, and then if they do decide that, you know, if we, it's a good fit uh, from both sides, then we take them on and then we actually set them up with their own sort of uh, personal advisor who then does the rest of the matchmaking and I all see. that. And I'm just available throughout that process and there of them dating different people and sort of developing relationships. If there are any difficulties or they want better insight, um, to come in and, and see me for that. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And your practice itself, uh, you're, you're seeing couples on a regular yes. basis for, yeah. for relationship therapy? Yes. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, couples, uh, they, couples uh, quite a bit find me um, because of the way that my, my agency is termed, it's, you know, relationship therapy. So a lot of people come in once they have a relationship and things are breaking down. But really, I would encourage anybody out there listening, um, if if you are having a hard time finding a relationship that sort of sparks you up, lights you up, um, don't wait to find that and and when things go wrong to seek out help. If you're not in a in a place yet where you're happy with um, your your sort of relationship life, um, being single as well, seek out help because a lot of it starts with who you are. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to sort of think of a relationship as as, as a live organic entity, whatever two individuals are, those are the qualities they bring into the relationship. Um, and so even in couples counseling, that's, I, I don't focus too much on the issue itself. The issue has arisen as a result of what two people are, are putting into that relationship and how they're interacting. So we sort of tease it apart and almost look at the specific ingredients that they're putting in. And that starts with each individual. Right, right. Yeah. No, and I know from, from my own marriage, I've been married for 22 years oh, okay. to my wife, Sabrina. And, um, you know, I think the key lesson I've learned yeah. over the years is uh, mainly to be a good communicator. Absolutely. Not to keep things in. Absolutely. To discuss things. If, yeah. if there's a problem, approach it. Don't yeah. run away from it. Yeah. So is that something that's uh, a big Definitely. part of your... Absolutely. Yeah. And again, that, that's, you know, you hear a lot um, in the relationship realm, like one of the key things is communication, right? So why is communication so important? Well, because you are a separate individual from, from your partner. Um, you've grown up, or grown up in a different environment. You might come from a different cultural or religious background, you know, whatever it is, family dynamics and your partner, um, in order to have a healthy relationship, your partner has to get to understand you to try to be able to meet your needs. Um, and it's a lot easier when it's not a guessing game on their part. Um, and you can communicate your needs clearly to them, um, set your standards openly, and they know then how to respond to you and so vice versa. Um, so 
yeah, I think it, it helps both sides when then individuals know themselves really well, know what their um, uh, sort of triggers might be and what their needs are and communicate that clearly to their partner and invite them to, um, to, to sort of step in and support them and try to meet, meet their needs rather than you know, the silence treatment or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I think what people need to keep in mind is that this is someone, if you're in a relationship uh, based on love, um, and that's the premise, that they, they love you, right? And so if they've done something to upset you, um, it's not a, it does not coming from a malicious place. It's just a lack of understanding. And it's, it, you know, it sounds simple, but that's what it is. It's sort of a lack of understanding. And so if we can explain it to our partner, um, they're more than, more than likely to be happy to, to do it right and to try to meet our needs. I mean, I, I don't get couples here that um, are maliciously trying to hurt one another, even if there's a lot of built um, pain and, and toxicity in the relationship. It didn't start off that way. It started off by someone doing something that triggered something in their partner from from their own you know past or baggage. Um, and then rather than clarifying what just sort of happened, the other person reacts back um, with with additional sort of frustration and anger, and then that's sort of a spiral. Um, and so that's what we try to do here is clean that stuff out, the layers out, and really get to the heart of the matter. Um, but anybody starting out, if they're starting out in a relationship, the best thing to do is try to be as clear about who you are to the person that you're engaged in that relationship with. But again, that starts from each individual. You have to know yourself then, sure. right? To sure. be able to communicate those needs clearly. How do you address stubbornness? I know just looking at my past and yeah. looking, say, at your family, the aunts, the uncles, the parents, uh, I see a lot of stubbornness. Could be on you know, the male or the female. Yeah. Um, you know, and you mentioned it earlier too, it starts with yourself. Yes. If the person, the individual is not willing to open up to communicate mm. um, and, and they're that stubborn person, yeah. how do you, how, as a therapist, how yeah. do you break through that or help, help break through that? So generally when there is a high level of stubbornness or defensiveness, it's because that person feels like they're misunderstood. So I have to keep changing myself for you. Um, and yet I have needs as well. And so you don't address the stubbornness head on, like you're being really resistant, you're being really difficult. It's underneath that, they're trying to protect something. And so if we can go um, underneath that and express whatever need that that individual has as well, then they're a lot more likely to be able to open up and hear their partner as well. But that's what sort of tends to happen is both of them come into the relationship and they don't really know what the other person's needs are and feel like they're doing, doing, doing and not getting their needs met and all their partner is doing is being critical and, and difficult and so they start sort of shutting down like I'm tired of having to give, I'm tired of having to change for you um, and so it's a defense mechanism but it's coming from a place of not feeling heard and nurtured themselves. So um, yeah, so we sort of go beyond that and try to understand what are your needs and what have, how much effort have you been putting in and feeling like it's not sort of getting anywhere um, and that usually sort of uh, brings attention down in the room. Is there a tool or something uh, that you might be able to offer people that, that are listening? If they have a partner that is stubborn, yeah. is there something that they, where do they start? How do, how do, how do they get past that defense, you know, um, mechanism that they're, that they're facing yeah. on a daily basis? Um, so I, when I see partners here um, in session, generally I'll try to get one to sort of open up and talk about their needs. And, and as they do, it comes across as criticism to the other person, like they failed somehow. And so then the reaction is, yeah, but you know, you're saying you want this, but the other day I did, you know, one, two, three, four, I, I'm doing all this for you. Um, and so they get sidetracked. So I would say really try to sort of sit down and and hear each other out. Just hear where the their, where the where your partner is feeling like um, they they're let down or they're not getting their needs met. Again, it's not a direct reflection 
on you. It might have been as simple as you didn't realize, you didn't know. So be careful about reacting back, trying to prove that you do, do love them or you have done because that immediately shuts the other person down and it backs them up and, and they're now having to prove their point, um, prove why they're justified in wanting those needs or having those needs and so you sort of get sort of sidetracked. So if you guys can just give each other some space to open up and talk to one another regardless of how it's coming across. Um, again, sometimes it does come across as criticism. If you can hear beyond the criticism, um, and we always say as therapists that anger and frustration, they're secondary emotions. Underneath anger is, is always pain and hurt and vulnerability. Um, and when we don't get our needs met, it's sort of a, a defense mechanism, right? Or anger is like a way to go about getting those needs met. So if you can hear beyond that and, and hear beyond the, the anger to the vulnerability to, uh, to whatever sort of missing, then that that would be an ideal, um, yeah. And then you just sort of open up that space. And once your partner just feels heard, you don't have to work on solving the issue. Just like, just give them the space to express themselves. Right. Um, and then you express your feelings and that's it. And sort of, and the tension sort of, again, goes down and you mm -hmm. can actually then look at the real issue rather than getting sidetracked. That's great. How important are doing the little things uh, in a relationship. Oh my God, so significant. Leaving a, a card, sending a, a, a text. So significant. Yeah. yeah, and they're so, I can't emphasize how significant they are. Um, because, so as simple as it is uh, to think about it in, in terms of this, think about it as like a, a love bank account. A lot of sort of therapists have used that term where you're constantly putting bit of sort of monetary, yeah, like love. Contribution. Yeah, right? yes, yeah, and so that's building up. Um, and so when there is a, a, a breakdown in communication, when there is conflict, when there's problems, and you sort of deduct from the bank account, you're still, you're still in the good. Um, but when you're not doing those little things, you're not building it up, um, and so you're not solidifying the trust and the love and the connection in the relationship. And so it just takes one silly conflict, one silly misunderstanding uh, to knock everything down, to put you in the negative. So that the everyday is really what sort of counts in building the depth of the connection and building the trust. So that when your partner comes home and they're just like having a really bad day, um, it's their, um, you know, they misplaced their anger. Maybe they were angry with a coworker or a boss or whatever it is, and it comes out at you. You already have enough of a buffer in that relationship and enough of trust and understanding of one another to know that wasn't about you. Um, it was misplaced and not to react to that. But when you don't take the time to build that love on a regular daily basis and you're already sort of at a, the love tank is already at, at a low and they come home and they react with frustration on you as well, it's really easy for that then to, yeah, go right. into something else. Right, that's good. Um, laughter, how, yeah. important, how important is laughter? Yeah, humor and laughter are a key because they really build the connection between two people um, and they take away from the tension. So one of the things that um, when we've observed healthy relationships, we've seen that there is a lot of humor and laughter um, in that and in in like moments of conflict and frustration and tension, one of them will make a joke or sort of an inside um, experience that they, they, it's only the two of them understand. And it'll just break that tension. It'll just put, break them out of that, you know, intense um, standoff, uh, as you will. Uh, and so, yeah, but again, that sort of comes from daily basis of having that ease and playfulness and laughter in the relationship. Um, otherwise, if you don't have that and one of them makes a joke while you're arguing, it's, it's sort of hurtful. Um, it could actually um, it be expressed in a way as like sort of passive aggressiveness or whatever it is. But so again, all of, the, all of this stuff is important to maintain that on a regular basis you should be sort of practicing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely bringing laughter and ease into the relationship takes away from the tension of buildup of frustration and conflict. Okay. Let's talk about, um, I know something that um, 
you know, in my circles and yeah. over the years, uh, I don't think it's talked about a lot. And that's uh, people being flirtatious. Yeah. So you're out at dinner and, you know, friends or new people and, um, you know, there's a yeah. lot of flirtation going on. Can you talk about that? And, and okay. you know, I, I don't yeah. know either way what's good, bad. Yeah. But is there a standard for that? Um, standard for that. I think that it it's going to be determined by individual relationships. And the reason I say that is each of us has a past we're coming from, right? And so if you've had a past where you've had people cheat on you, or even if you've, you've been the one cheating, um, that's something that's now available to you in your mind as a possibility. Um, and so when you see flirtatiousness, um, your partner flirting with, you know, whoever it is, the waiter or somewhere else at a party, it's easy to go there because you've seen that. It's easy to say, okay, I can see the steps. It's sort of starting out and I'm going to end up hurt again. Or I've done this. I see myself um, and I know naturally where I would end up. Um, and so it's, again, it comes from our past quite a lot. And so to know ourselves, but if you're having, if you're someone who doesn't, has never had anybody cheat on you or you've never engaged in that kind of a behavior, um, the flirtatiousness is sort of contained because you don't have a natural outcome for that um, and you don't have a trigger. So it's not, you might not like it, maybe, maybe find it sort of disrespectful or, or whatever it is, but you can have a conversation about it. Whereas, um, so for instance, I actually had a friend of mine, um, so she and her husband were watching this comedian, and he made a joke about uh, about cheating, um, and and her husband laughed, and he thought it was funny, um, and she just she found that so offensive, and she found that so hurtful, and they ended up getting in a really big fight about it, because um, she found it as you know disrespectful to women, and you know attributed a lot of things to that, and so she was talking to me about it, um, and. Knowing her past, I know there. You know her parents had issues with cheating, and for a while they broke up, and then they in, got back together again. And so, um, so there was a, a there was a tenderness there, there was a softness there, um, and that's what that brought up the anger and the frustration um, and what she saw with her parents, the conflict that it had created, and that came out towards her husband. Um, and so once she sort of understood where that was. Um, I sort of encouraged her to like go back to him and talk about it and talk about where that wound came from um, so that he could understand her better and, and nurture that. Um, so similarly, again, with, with flirting, if it's, it's harmless as long as it's contained. Um, but if you, you do sort of flirt and there's an intense reaction from your partner, don't just try to dismiss that or explain that you weren't going to do anything. That pain is coming for, from somewhere. And so use that as an opportunity to get to know them better, to be able to then to understand how they were wounded and how you can support and healing that. Uh, and that sort of goes for any, any kind of conflict or argument where you feel like the anger and rage that you got from your partner isn't fair based on... Um, whatever action that you took, whatever behavior it was, um, it's probably coming from some, somewhere deeper. And rather than be frustrated with that, take it as an, an opportunity to draw the two of you guys closer together, have an in-depth conversation about them as individuals and how you can you know, support them and you know, reaffirm the love and the nurturing and all of that in that relationship. What's the difference between <clears throat> flirtatiousness and genuine care or even love for one of the opposite sex. So, um, you know, again, you're, you're, you're with uh, good friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is there yeah. a line? I mean, what, what's, the, what's the difference? Uh, uh, I, again, I think that each, each couple has their own boundaries. And the problem is that sometimes individuals will have their own understanding about it. And again, often the case that each person is coming from a different background, so they have their own different understandings. Um, 
and they react against one another rather than taking that as an opportunity to, to really delve into it. Um, so that's where I would encourage that there is no fine line of like where every couple needs to be. Um, I think flirtatiousness, it's fine in, in a lot of relationships, but I think in others, it, was, it could trigger a lot of sure. anger, frustration, Hurt. and pain. Yeah. So it's really about taking those opportunities to really discuss what's going on with the two of you. What's the structure around your relationship? Um, what is it that the two of you want from one another? How do you deem respect in your relationship? What are the appropriate relationships outside of that relationship um, with same-sex friends or opposite-sex friends? I mean, um, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, uh, in, in of itself, if, is flirtatiousness wrong? No, it's kind of in our nature. Um, it doesn't mean immediately that we like someone else. It could just be the excitement of interacting, the novelty of interacting with someone new. But um, if you're not getting your emotional needs met in your relationship and let's say you have an, uh, an opposite sex friend that you go to a lot to get those needs met um, that's you know that could be a problem of in itself sure yeah love yes um, it's a special thing mm -hmm. right and um, um, I wonder how many couples actually find true love and it seems in the beginning you know there's yeah. always that spark yeah uh, but to maintain that love that's always the issue yeah yeah that it's always the issue it's very rarely um, is it that I can't I don't I can't love it's where did the love go wrong why didn't it last or it went from such intensity to us then being really sort of aggressive or hateful towards one another how did that shift um, I think we have to keep in mind that there's romantic love, which we're all wired for, and it uh, served clear purposes of an, of our, from our evolutionary past to bring two people together in order to procreate, um, in order to sort of help the, human, the survival of the human race. So we're all wired for that, um, but somehow that kind of love, the initial attraction bit, um, has been really highlighted in our culture um, and really that's there's a heavy emphasis on those um, early months or, or years where that, uh, that intensity of, of spark still exists. But the day in, the day out, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, um, that we don't really discuss too much in culture. And there, it, and there has to be a very clear recognition by people that, that there is a shift. Um, so eventually the hormonal cocktail that um, you're in when you're in romantic love will die down. And it's supposed to die down. If you were in that intense state all the time, nothing would get done. As anybody knows that when they're in those initial stages of love, they can't think about anything else. They're practically obsessed with their partner and their right. relationship, right? Um, their schoolwork suffers, their, uh, their work work suffers, their relationship with other people might suffer. They don't want to do anything else but be around that individual. And so to stay in that state um, would mean that you know you would not be able to progress in life. So it's supposed to calm down after that. What most people do is they don't realize that, and so all of a sudden when that sort of calms down, they go, oh, what, what does this mean about this relationship? Um, and they attribute a lot of things to the relationship or to the partner, like they might be the wrong person for me, or we're getting in a lot of conflict and it's just not there anymore, we've fallen out of love. And it's really not about that. It's, there's a natural progression. Um, and you have to move into what sort of psychologists sometimes call companionate love, where there's a deeper sense of connection, compassion there for one another. So the intensity of the of the passion or the, um, the the sexual sort of urges dies down, but there's a deeper sense of friendship and connection there. But in order to that, we're not necessarily wired for that. There takes quite a lot of okay. insight and work into. Um, and so when you're in that heightened state, the key is not to just get caught up in that and just to focus on having fun and enjoying your time with your partner uh, because they might not be the right person for you. And then that all sort of calms down and then you realize, oh, gosh, there's actually a lot of areas we differ. And that's why because your friends aren't in that heightened state, they can maybe see um, 
conflict in the relationship or differences that might you know come up and they try to tell you and you just can't hear them but once you come out of that you're like oh that's what they were sort of referring to so when you're in that heightened state still engaged and genuinely getting to know that person and understanding if they're the a right fit for you and if they are continue to work on the bonding process of that relationship so when that sort of those intense feelings die down there's a foundation that the two of you have already built on to continue that relationship mm-hmm. um, as you're talking you said a lot of great things mm-hmm. there um, thinking about some friends that um, stick in relationships yeah. because they're just trying to make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do these people, what, what should someone do if they feel stuck or if they, they have so much time invested? Yes. Um, yeah. Where do you go with it? Yeah, I think sometimes people get into these types of relationships um, because they're not very clear on who they are as individuals, what their values are, and what values they're seeking from a partner. So as I said, romantic love, we're wired for that. It could just happen. Um, So you spend enough time with someone hanging out and having fun, which is sort of the initial stages of dating, you kind of end up sort of falling for them. And then you invest a lot of time and energy into that relationship. Um, And then all of a sudden, when you're sort of coming out of that state, you sort of realize, all right, I've already invested sort of two years into this financially. We might have moved in by then. A lot of people make those big decisions about marriage and the forever thing in that initial couple of years, right? Um, so yeah, there's a, a high level of risk there now when you're when you're coming out of it. I would say really, really think about who you are. So as as individuals going into relationships, seeking that out, really focus on who you are as an individual. So there's sometimes this whole like you know, exercise that people will encourage, like write down what you want from a partner. People will get really specific sometimes on the wrong things, like the specific physical appearance or, um, you know, the job, social standing, whatever it is. And really, you know, when I get couples having issues, it's not those things. It's not that, you know, I wanted blue eyes, he has brown eyes, that's creating conflict. It's characteristics, it's the character of the individual, it's the integrity, it's their um, the mutual values that at the time it weren't an issue to talk about but all of a sudden they're a couple of years um, into the relationship and one sort of value is I want to stay in the city, I want to be in a metropolitan, I want to really grow my career and the other one is I, you know, sort of ready to build a family and like move out of the city and um, you know move to the country, whatever it is. Things that are very specific to who we are as individuals that might not come up in the earlier um, years that you have to know about yourself and you have to really understand you as an individual and the values that someone else brings to the relationship that are key and then talk about it. Talk about it throughout the relationship. Don't wait until those issues come up to right. touch on that, which right. is what most people do. Yeah. What would you say to someone who might be a workaholic and um, their spouse, yeah. girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, uh, is not? Yeah. And they feel left out. They feel yeah. like you're spending way too much time. You know, you're staying too long at the office. Yeah. And I, you know, and then you come home and and. You know, you eat and, and go to bed, and we really yeah. don't have the, the, the quality time. Yeah, so that's a, another thing is um, we all have different needs from our relationship. So, um, a, you know, nowadays the way relationships work is we're not just looking for stability and certainty. We're not just looking for someone that we can, like, buy a home with, have some kids, and sustain a life. It's not functional like it sort of used to be, and someone to hang out occasionally. We're really seeking emotional fulfillment. We're seeking um, a depth of connection from from the person we're with. And that can sometimes differ from, from person to person. So someone might get be getting majority of their emotional fulfillment from a passionate career that they, they have going on. So their need for a relationship and the time they want to spend with a partner might not be as high. Um, and so when there, there's a mismatch in that, that can create quite a lot of conflict as well. So I'd say, you again, that's another thing you have to sort of be clear on. It's really wonderful to have all the uh, positive consequences of someone that works a lot and has a great career. You know, there's financially uh, more money coming in or whatever it is, or initially a lot of time to yourself. Um, but 
but that in that person sort of giving that up and and staying home that's going to take a shift in adjustment for both individuals so again i would say it's less about looking at what your partner isn't sort of giving you and how you're not getting your needs met and more about recognizing what those needs are initially trying to find a partner that has similar types of needs that fit um and again when when you when if you are in a relationship and issues like that come up like you know all of a sudden he's working a lot and 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 you don't like it it's going to take a shift in the relationship it's not just about you work less because that's going to that's going to cause something else to shift in the relationship and both individuals have to be aware of that so if i want him or her to work less what part do i play in that to create that shift mm-hmm. right um children yeah Yeah. Do you, do you get into family situations yeah. um where children can impact the relationship um whether it's a, it's a newborn or yeah. whether you know the kids are young in elementary school or whether they're going yeah. off to high yeah. school or college um I think there's all these different yeah. stages yeah that can affect the relationship yeah how do you, how do how does one maintain the yeah. love relationship as yeah. well as the love for the family. Yeah. Yeah, so children um is a key and this is one of the issues that should be talked about earlier on. Um because more and more parents are really invested in their children's sort of outcomes. So if you look at, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, um kids were outside sort of playing and hanging out more on their own and there was more just time for adults to be adults right. and nowadays just parents are a lot more involved um in their children's life and sort of constructing um the path they're on are you seeing that here as well as the states yeah okay yeah absolutely yeah so um yeah we have this term of like helicopter parenting right where right. parents are hovering over yeah um and so i would say one of the key things to keep in mind um for parents is one of the best things you can give to your kids uh above and beyond like swim lessons and dance lessons and all of that is a healthy functional relationship and so if you have to take time out from spending time with them just to reconnect with your partner you're probably going to do much more good than taking them to an extra lesson of some sort or whatever it is they need to see that this relationship is solid um that the because their entire world world is built on the home and the relationship that you and your you know husband and wife have together uh or partners have together if they're not married um so again investing time into your relationship and making sure that you take time out for the you know ongoing dating or to really talk through issues and stuff is so you're giving them so much um and sometimes parents don't sort of realize they think that the relationship with their kids the relief focuses on the discipline or what sports they play whatever you know how much how much time they can invest into the kids and they don't realize that the investment into the relationship adds proportionately to the health of the psychological health of their kids Wonderful. yeah let's talk about you okay so um young woman yeah professional doctor yeah. therapist you're doing mm. a lot of great things in this world where did this come from how how young were you when when you started to have aspirations to yeah. to be so yeah gifted and 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 driven um well i think i i think okay so i grew up in a family where education was really important and and looking back i can see how my parents almost shape my interest and my drive um in education. I remember um like one of the things my parents would wouldn't ever mind spending money on was buying books. So there was something with I had an attachment to books and I needed to buy the book. And if I read a book, I felt like I had a bond with it and I didn't want to return it to the library. Um and so that was an area where they financially invested. They like understood that 
and they didn't mind buying actual books for me for me to read and keep at home. Um, and so, and any time there was any kind of like educational activity, I was always allowed to go. I was always sort of encouraged. And in some ways, I grew up in a fairly sort of conservative, strict um, home, so I wasn't really out, allowed to go out partying and, and sort of be out whenever I wanted. Um, there was structure and there were rules. But again, when it came to education, there was a lot of freedom there. So I got a, I was initially going sort of at uh, this idea of going into the medical field and pre-med. Um, and I was in this program in high school and I got selected to go visit um, Georgetown University, their medical school. And again, my parents didn't really like having me away from home, but that trip, like that was something that they were happy with. So early on, I realized that sort of to, um, seek out a lot of freedom and uh, gain a sense of sort of myself and value in my in my house um, was was through sort of education that was something that they never said no to if it was a school trip if it was educational whatever it was they invested um, and so that in that way they taught me that that was sort of significant and um, and then it just it became significant uh, in my family so we sat around and talked about the the what I learned at, at school and I remember when I had like things to do in high school and I had to stay up really late, like 12, 1, 2, my mom would stay up with me. Um, so yeah, so in that way they really, they really emphasized the value of this in our home, the, the fact that they were, they themselves were willing to make sacrifices to ensure that um, knowledge and education um, really sort of filled up Came my first, life. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so in that way, uh, that was that was really helpful. And then when I went to university, as I said, I was sort of pre-med, um, but I, I found myself going to classes and literally finding any reason to, to skip class that day. It was like, oh, it's sunny outside. How could, be, how could I be confined into a classroom? I just didn't like I, for some, I just didn't like the chemistry classes. I didn't like physiology. I didn't, you know, I didn't like the classes. But I was taking psychology courses for fun. I hadn't even thought about. I was always thought about job as something you work at. You have to put energy and effort into. Um, and my fun courses were psychology. And I, I, it came to a point where I was so miserable and going to class and found any reason to skip it that I realized I literally like I can't do this anymore. Um, and so again, I had a long conversation with my parents because this was a sort of a long path that I was on starting in my earlier days. I had volunteered at a hospital very um, for a long time in high school. I was involved in all kinds of pre-med programs in school. So that shift um, was sort of a big one for me. And in talking with them, again, they've sort of kind of opened up that space for me to, to make that shift. And then when I moved into psychology, it's just, it just sort of took off. I just really enjoyed it. And I think one of the things I love about psychology is that, you know, the human body is the human body. No matter who you are, where you come from, what your religion, what your, whatever it is, it's all the same. You know, we have the same organs, we're constructed the same. But with psychology, it's not. Every, everything is different. So as simple as what neighborhood you grew up in could have a massive uh, effect on your psychology. So I could be looking at two people that have similar religions, similar culture, similar whatever, but they're never going to be two the same type of individuals. And I just, I love, I love that. So when I get clients um, it engages my own sort of interest and in critical thinking. Um, I can't ever say I've, I've known, I know enough now, you know? So yeah, I find it really, it's just, it's so much fun. Do you remember that aha moment when you said, okay, this is what I want to do? Um, <laughs> uh, God, did I, have, that, that aha moment really came from, I remember the specific call I, that I made to my parents to go, I don't want to do pre-med anymore. I, I remember exactly where I was because I, I was so terrified of the disappointment in them as well. Um, and yeah, I just remember them being like, 
okay, so psychology is your thing. And I was like, I think psychology, again, because I was so focused on the pre-med, right. I hadn't even allowed myself to engage any other thoughts. I just knew I couldn't do this anymore. And my minor was psychology, so I thought, or I'll just shift into psychology, because I, I love going to those classes. Um, and so when I had the talk with them and they kind of stepped back and allowed me to like really talk about it more and more, I realized, oh my God, I, this is what I, I actually do love it. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't allowed myself to accept that um, before. So yeah, that phone call, I specifically remember because then the next day I was sort of on it. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, and so. My niece, Gabriella, is um, getting her master's in psychology. Okay. And it seems like she is really loving it as well. Mm. And um, it's just nice to see yes. um, young men or women Yeah. Um, when they when they find something that they like and they're passionate about it and yeah. they work toward it and yeah. you know it's 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 a wonderful career. Yeah, it's a it's a different world we exist in now. Um, you know, back in the day when it came to a career or a relationship, people necessarily weren't looking for again emotional fulfillment. A mm -hmm. career back then meant like a good solid sort of career. You can you can like make enough money, you can retire on it, you can provide for your family, you know, that maybe the hours were good to be able to be flexible enough to spend some time with family, good vacation time or holiday time. Um, but now it's about how does it spark you? How does it make you happy? How, how much emotional fulfillment you get from that? So, um, which is really cool, but also it's, it's harder. It takes a while. Uh, you have to grow into who you are to know what really sparks your interest and, and brings about fulfillment. And so it, it takes a little bit of time. And I think the best thing parents could do is sort of just sort of step back a little bit and allow for that space um, and sometimes again being for from past generations where things didn't work out like that that could be sort of a bit frustrating you know because uh, the other way that conversation could have gone is but you've now invested you know two and a half years into this degree and you're gonna go and change your major you know and possibly take another year or whatever it is and all, all the problems that could potentially come along with me sort of shifting um, and they didn't do that so they sort of stepped back and I think I and I really appreciate that in them so yeah any advice for young people out there, even parents that, that have kids that are getting ready to go into school yeah. uh, with psychology. Um, any advice that you'd give on, on this path uh, as a career? Um, You've been through it. Yeah, I'm, and I'm trying, I'm thinking back to like, um, where areas I needed more clarity on that I can uh, shed some light on that. I think the thing to remember is that um, there's sort of two different major paths in psychology. Either you become a therapist, a counselor, um, sort of a clinician, or you go into the academic research realm. Um, and that wasn't something that was entirely clear to me. When I went into sort of my master's, I kind of fell into it without realizing um, the clear distinction that that has. Okay. I just happened to love the university I was sort of going to go into and I like met the staff and really loved them and ended up in, like in the counseling realm, thank God. But I wrapped around and came back into research and I've kind of found a way to combine those two um, but it's not often done that way and so you know to know that if you're going to go into a psychology degree make sure you know whether it's a research degree a counseling degree and what that sort of means and the amount of work that you're going to be doing psychology in of itself is it's so broad you know, and so you're thinking, oh, psychology, and then you go into a research uh, program and you're thinking you're going to be interacting with people all the time. No, it's going to be data most of the time mm -hmm. so that you're going to be working with. And so it sort of means um, different things. And also um, there's so much to study, study in psychology. Um, it's not sort of just about... Uh, so I've sort of picked dating and relationships, right? But there's tons of other areas you can go into. So really paying attention to sort of who you are and what you're drawn to and, and narrowing it down because the field itself is so wide. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Catherine, mm -hmm. this has been amazing. I wish we had more time. Yeah, we could go I can into a lot more absolutely. detail. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could do it again uh, when, when I come back to London. Uh, but we will definitely... Uh, keep in touch with you. We will share the links 
uh, with Great. folks so, so they could reach out to you and anything else that, that you want to leave us with? Um, no, I mean, know yourself. <laughs> know, know yourself and, and know how to communicate who you are to the outside world, Where that's, whether that's in a romantic relationship or in relationships of any kind. Um, the more you know yourself and the, the clearer you are about who you are and you, um, you embody your own values, the more the likely you are to attract the right people into your life. Uh, so it's not about going and finding that person, making a list and like looking out for that person. It's really about becoming that individual and bringing that into the relationship. Because even if you found the perfect person, if you're not the, that kind of person and you're not um, living your own sort of values, they can only contribute 50% of that relationship. You're the other half of it. So it's still not gonna be your ideal relationship. So know yourself, communicate it clearly, um, and don't compromise in terms of who you are as an individual. Love it. As Brian Rose says, become your best self. Absolutely, and then you will attract the best partner for that. That's right. Best self, yeah. Thanks so much. Mm. It's been a pleasure. Likewise.